Blog Talk Radio. J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show, I would say a very timely show in light of much of what is happening around the world in terms of war and peace. So today we are going to be honoring both the International Day of Peace of September 21st with our roundtable, our panel of guests, and also honoring at the same time the the whole idea of 11 days of global yes. unity, Peter, which is September you have 11th. You're on the radio here. Have a glass of water the in my 21st. Hello. Uh, someone's in the background. I hear your voice. Please, if you would, quiet now. Okay, thanks so much. All right. How's it going? Carrying on, uh, tell me what's going on. Oh. Just uh, bear with me for a moment here. This is one clue. I have a few. So, as I was saying, I would like to, for now, introduce our guests. We are having a, a roundtable on peace. And to begin with, uh, we will be speaking with Rick Ulfick, who is the founder of We the World as well as the WE campaign at WE.net. Rick has been involved through these two websites and his organizations behind them in developing global networks of collaboration and organizing large, massive involvement worldwide in the work of creating peaceful, caring, and sustainable world activities. He has a a luminous group of people behind him going from the Nobel Peace Laureate, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Jane Goodall, Deepak Chopra, Daniel Ellsberg, Rian Eisler, Bill McKibben, Robert Thurman, Dr. Patch Adams, Hazel Henderson, and some 70 others. Rick Ulfick has also, through this, been the principal organizer of 11 Days of Unity, going from September 11th today through September 21st, which is a platform for change agents worldwide to raise awareness and take action collectively. It begins of all days on September 11th, of course, today, and we're helping to, to... 
launch this effort that Rick has been making through today's show. This has been going on now uh, for a few years and has uh, as many as 700 associated events in approximately 60 countries around the world. It culminates on September 21st on the United Nations International Day of Peace. Another one of our guests is John Raymer, who is known as an American entrepreneur and civic leader, as well as inventor and musician. Most recently, he is known for his work with the Compassion Action Network, which is based in Seattle, that has led to the effort to make that city the first in the world to affirm Karen Armstrong's charter for compassion. Most recently, John Raymer conceived of and produced the Compassion Games, Survival of the Kindest, in response to a challenge from the mayor of Louisville to other cities to outdo Louisville's compassionate action as measured by hours of community service. This is so much the direction we as a planet, as a humanity, need to go. So I'm thrilled with the guests we have today. Our next panel member is Philip Helmick, who is Director of Peace for the Summer of Peace at the Shift Network. We've had Stephen Dynan on back in December talking about the 2012 shift that we're all very familiar with. Philip brings more than 25 years of experience in international development and conflict transformation, a really nice way of putting it, including 14 years with the Search for Common Ground. He also served for four years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone, where he lived and worked in a small remote Bush village, or several of them actually. A published writer, Philip is also the author of a forthcoming book, God and Conflict, A Search for Peace in a time of crisis. He also serves as advisor to the Global Peace Initiative of Women. A longtime meditation practitioner, Philip enjoys studying and teaching about the parallels between inner and outer peace building. Our other panelist today is the performing artist and musician, Aliza Hava, who is also a producer, songwriter, director, educator, international peace builder who has been working with peace building NGOs for over 15 years. Aliza is based both in California and Jerusalem and tours internationally while developing inspirational initiatives that promote coexistence, youth empowerment, interfaith alliances, environmental sustainability, and women's rights while utilizing music as a tool for social change. Aliza is also a representative to the UN for the World Peace Prayer Society and is founding director of Peace Day Live, which is celebrating the 2013 International Day of Peace with music, movies, and a global prayer for peace. Now, this is a particularly interesting time in history because it is really around this time that we are thinking about peace so much because of the recently off-discussed matter occurring in Syria that has gathered all of our attention. 
But I do want to say that this panel, with whom we'll be speaking this evening for the entire program, is dedicated to a larger picture of peace, an inner state of peace for the individual, for the couple, for the family, for the village, for the town, for the county, for the state, for the province, and for each nation, and for that to spread worldwide. It's not a case-by-case basis, but because we are looking at a particularly disruptive moment in our history, we will be, after learning about each of our panelists a bit and the work they're doing, uh, circle back around to talk about Syria, which is on everybody's minds. So thank you all for being on A Better World Radio this evening. It's really a pleasure to have you all. Great to be on with you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I I so admire each of your work. Um, Your your biographies actually go far beyond what I just shared with our audience, but it would take up the entire time. So instead, I gave the briefer version of each of you. Rick Ulfick, you have been a leader in this world for so long. You and I had the pleasure of meeting back in the mid-90s around the effort of the season for nonviolence at the United Nations that we were both working on together. And we've been friends and colleagues ever since, so it's really a pleasure to have you on. And you're just thanking you for leading this initiative. Well, thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be on your show as as well. And I remember those, those high, heady days. In 1998, when we launched the the season for nonviolence, and the U.N. had never seen anything like that before. It was like we had to go into an overflow room from the General Assembly. I mean, it was like unbelievable. uh, Exactly. uh, It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And Jesse Jackson, you know, all these people. Jesse Jackson, Reverend Michael Beckwith, and the Agape Choir, and it was truly, uh, as you said, heady. It really was. In fact, I wrote a song, I don't know if you remember, called Let's Make World Peace that uh, was performed at the other side of that in April at St. Bart's Church. Uh, Wow. And it was, uh, the whole event was really special. And We've both, in our own uh, respective ways, have been carrying on this mission for a long, long time. It's really become a hallmark of our life's work. There's no question. You with We the World and We.net and me with A Better World, and we twist and turn and overlap over and over again in our work, Rick. Would you give us a little bit of an overview of what it is you had in mind when you originally set up 11 Days of Global Unity? Oh, yeah. Well, um, first of all, I can say that what it is is a a worldwide convergence of festivals, concerts, forums, rallies, and other kinds of programs that promote peace, justice, sustainability, and transformation. And as you uh, said earlier, it's... uh, occurring in many countries around the world, as many as 60 countries every year. Um, And the reason we started it, it, it's totally connected with both 9-11 and with the International Day of Peace because uh, the, the origin of the International Day of Peace 
is that it was created by a resolution uh, at the UN to be a day when ceasefires were announced. And in fact, they were going for a global ceasefire uh, on that day, which was the opening day of the General Assembly every September, uh, yes. you know, in, at the UN. The problem is that that day is usually the, the or had been on the second Tuesday of the month in September, and uh, that date would change every year. And so NGOs who wanted to get behind the International Day of Peace, they started uh, pushing the UN to put it on a, a, a fixed date, which eventually did become September 21st. The problem mm-hmm. is it didn't come that in time. And the second Tuesday in September, which was the, uh, supposed to be the opening day of the General Assembly in 2001, actually was the day of the 9-11 tragedy. So yes. te- technically speaking, the International Day of Peace was on September 11, 2001. And then... Interesting. And then the the resolution kicked in. Uh, uh, so in the following years, it was on September 21st. So uh, we at We the World and our global partners looked at that and and created a kind of a sim- symbolic journey from fear to hope, from September 11th through September 21st, and we call that the 11 days of global unity. And we mm-hmm. started that with. Desmond Tutu making a video for us. We had the Million Voice Choir in 2001, Jane Goodall and uh, Marianne Williamson, Barbara Marks Hubbard, and on and on, so many people, 125 cities involved. Um, so, And it's just been growing every year. So that is really the origin of 11 Days of Global Unity. It's awesome. I mean, just to comment on that for a moment, Rick, uh, the amount of energy that you have managed through this effort in particular, let alone others that you've made over time, focalizes so much energy and attention and intention on the notion of global unity. And, of course, inside that, when you open up that egg, is peace. Peace jumps out. And it's just such a contribution. I just kind of want to acknowledge you from the outset here. Uh, for doing that because it's our human collective energy that is going, I so believe, and I believe all of us here believe, is going to help shift the way we think, shift the conversation about what unity is about, what brotherhood and sisterhood really means, and what it is to live in a peaceful world. And uh, it really takes the kinds of actions that you've been engaging for these years to bring this about. And you know, it's oh. not tangible in that it isn't. It doesn't come up with a treaty, but a treaty, of course, is only as good as the people behind it that want to enforce it. So uh, I feel like you're so much on the right wavelength and on the right track to bring the heart and soul of people into the peacemaking process. So, well, th- just thank you so much. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't count out the idea of treaties. You know, one of the aspects of the International Day of Peace is promoting this idea of departments and ministries of peace in countries around the world. And believe me, uh, treaties 
and diplomacy and creating peace in a totally uh, multi-level kind of way uh, is is part of that. So, so okay, I won't count them out. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to, <laughs> but I also wasn't going to say that uh, the written word, which has been violated so often throughout all of human recorded history, recorded, uh, is not the thing that fully enforces the I power do. of the word. It's the intention and the action of the people behind the written words. So I feel like you're on the right side. Diplo- Amen, right? And diplomacy yeah. is always on our side, as we're beginning, beginning to see here in Syria. Uh, I'd love to bring uh, John Raymer of the Compassion Games into the discussion here for a few minutes, and uh, then we'll go through each of the panelists to hear from each one what you're up to, what you're doing to contribute to the 11 days of global unity in particular, but also in general what your life's mission is here. And then we'll circle back and discuss Syria. So, John, tell us about the Compassion Games. This is so, so interesting. I know I just want to say the survival games, when it came, it was so disturbing. It was so disturbing. I I wouldn't even go see it. So I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. And tell our audience about it, would you? Yeah, for sure. And I guess you're referring to the Hunger Games, right? I mean, the Hunger Games. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even forgot the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I know there probably are survival games, and that's all part of it. The good news is, is that the Hunger Games are fiction, and the Compassion Games are actually happening in 18 communities around the world. Mm. So, the well, tell you know, us what it, what are the compassion games? Well, this is a culture hack. We're culture hacking, and in playing <laughs> off of just that idea of the Hunger Games and the idea that we can use games. And I've been amazed. I mean, this kind of happened. It surprised me. What happened was Seattle began this campaign to be a compassionate city, inviting other cities to get involved. And one city in particular was really remarkable in their efforts, and that was the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And they have a great mayor, Mayor Greg Fisher. And we invited him and his team out to Seattle, gave them an award as a model leadership, as a model city. And then the mayor sent me a letter challenging us, saying that they were the most compassionate city in the world and would be so till proven otherwise. And that just kind of said, what? And uh, we responded and said, okay, and we made up a way of keeping score because even though the compassion games are an infinite game, which means basically that there are no losers and the more you play, the more you win and the more people play, the more people win. But we're tracking here the number of volunteers, the hours of service, the dollars raised for nonprofits, the amount of number of people that get served because in the end, it's really dethroning ourselves in the center of the universe and dedicating ourselves and our time to serving others. And that's at the root of the games, and using the games as a way to address the need for measurement. Because so many of us, you know, feel it's not sufficient to just do these qualitative, meaningful, heartfelt expressions of love and compassion and peace. But we're saying, how are we going to know we're really making progress? So, In other words, how can we quantify this? Yeah, for some people that's really important, and I honor that. And I think it's qualitative and quantitative, and 
and we hope over the years to come to really help communities build the capacity to, to produce collective impact. And using yeah. the games is one way to do that. So the way that they earn points, so to speak, so that that mayor would be proven correct about Louisville being the most compassionate and kindest city in the world, not the country but the world, is that the number of community hours of service that that the city, the, the citizens in the city are committing Yes, and performing and, and doing. And they, they have performing, the day yeah. program. They're, they're really, in fact, just to appreciate the, the, the joke and all this, but yet the spirit of this, the mayor said they were the, you know so compassionate that they'd come out to Seattle to help us beat them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one has a sense of humor. I and like that. <laughs> I need help, guys. If any of you, we got only 11 days now, you know, part of the 11 days of, Global Unity. We got ten more days after today. So if any of you are wondering, there's a community you want to fly to to do some service. I, I, I got room for you here in Seattle. We've got fierce competitors. We were going to be doing. Every city's doing a food drive, so Compassion Harvest. Down in LA, they're calling it Move Your Compassion Can. They're playing the Compassion <laughs> Games in women's prisons in in uh, California. I mean, there's really. The well, what are they doing they're, in the women's prisons? Well, they have 61 units with over 100 women in each unit that are all, we call it a co-opetition. So the idea here is we're cooperating <laughs> to compete. We're not yes. competing against what we're competing with. Going back to the, the roots of the word competition, meaning competitor and strive together. So yes, we're exactly. trying to play. People are hungry to play and find the satisfaction that comes from giving to others. So the Compassion Games at CompassionGames.org are really all about making it possible for communities all over to grab onto this and make it their own and bring their own spirit to it. That is just so much fun, John. I don't know what to say. It's just uh, exactly the direction to go. Many years ago, I was studying uh, anthropology upstate New York at Bard College and uh, attended an anthropology conference where I had the pleasure of meeting Margaret Mead many, many moons ago. And my own professor did some project called the Anthropod presentation called the Anthropology of Play. And he said, all animals, including humans, just are designed to play after they eat, after they sleep, after they have reproduced as many of their own species as possible. They want to do nothing other than to play. They don't want to fight. They don't want to kill. They don't want to do anything but play. And we are but an outpost of that. So I feel that you are tapping a vein of reality, an archetype of our species that uh, is really the way to go. I, I think that we should be laughing our way to peace, you know. And Yes, beautiful yes. work. No, that's beautiful. That's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, yeah. the famous cultural anthropologist says just that, that may our learning be our playing and our playing be our learning. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's, uh, we'll circle back to you later. I want to bring Philip in, Philip Mc, uh, I'm sorry, Philip Helmick, who is the Director of Peace for the Summer of Peace at the Shift Network and 
so many other interesting accolades, including being a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone. Uh, Philip, your life has been so committed to the cause of peace. It's just it's beautiful to see all the way from, you know, larger initiatives connected to the UN all the way to remote bush villages. Uh, what is it that you're Im- intending to uh, bring forward here during these 11 days? Well, it, what we're bringing forward is, is really it's, it's two years of, of work. We're offering we're offering people um, a free telesummit um, library and upcoming calls. Also, that we've been really intentionally looking at peace from the inner the international. We feel like you said it earlier that there's there's a new narrative of peace that is rising, and it's yeah. been happening in in all these different sectors of society. Um, it's been happening on the you know from the inner peace realm in terms of people, yoga, meditation. It's been happening interpersonal, it's nonviolent communication. It's been happening in schools with the growth of education, uh, peace education programs um, yes. in communities. It, it's just, it's been, there's been a quiet groundswell happening. And so we've interviewed over 180 peace builders from around the world uh, the last two summers. And it's, this is available in, in the, in, in the, you know, online free telesummit. We'll interview some more people in the next 11 days. And it's, it's really committed, you know, to something similar to uh, what the 11 Days for Global Unity has been doing, is highlighting the different sectors. But the, the big part here, Mitchell, is, is, is it is to become aware of the new narrative and mm-hmm. that it does, it does span this whole continuum. And when we see this, because the news, you know, the news is often um, focused on the negative aspects which are happening, you know, which some of those are important to cover, but we lose fact of we lose we don't necessarily see the the bigger picture of what is again quietly emerging. And one colleague yes. at the Peace Alliance said that the peace movement today is in a similar place as the environmental movement was in the sixties. There's a lot of individual efforts happening here and there, but people aren't aware that there's a larger movement. And yeah. I think I, I've shared with you my one favorite quote uh, from Steve Kalalea, who created the yeah. Global Peace Index. We were interviewing Steve Kalalea, and he said, um, Sanskrit has 108 words for love, Islam has 99 names for peace, Japanese has 14 words for beauty, and we've got one word for peace. We don't have enough words to accurately describe all the different types of peace. Mm, and I think it was beautiful. I think it was Socrates who once said, "If you don't have a word to describe something, then how can you think about it?" And then Steve yeah. went on in that interview to to say that we're at the beginning of really understanding, and so that's what we're really looking at. It's like what is the full range of peace, the way it's manifesting? Because believe me, uh, peace in a meditation center in California looks much different than in in the villages I lived in Sierra Leone. And it, it, particularly after the war, so there's there's just so much. And if once we start having this bigger picture, we can expand our vocabulary, we can expand our our, our um, understanding. And then um, just as it's Rick with the uh, 11 Days of Global Unity, the idea is to inspire, inform, and involve. And I actually learned those three three words words from Rick because the intention is once we see what's happening and we become inspired, we can find what it is in my own heart that is my piece of the puzzle to bring forth. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's going to look different for each person. <clears throat> that, that's a brief, brief 
a brief overview there, Mitchell. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I, I very much appreciate it, Philip. But, you know, when you say piece of the puzzle, I, I can't help but piece it together in my own mind and spelling piece as P-E-A-C-E, my piece of that puzzle, you know. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that is what we have to bring forward, not something that's fractured like a piece of the puzzle, the way we know puzzles, but a real inner piece to the right. outer puzzle, if you will, right. not to, you know, overdo it. But in reality, that is the game, you know. it's Peace is a, is a state of mind and, I believe, very much a declaration. And uh, even when people are not feeling peaceful at a given moment, that's only natural. I, you and I are offline, Philip, were t- uh, talking a little bit about James O'Day and uh, that he had been a guest on my show, and he um, endorsed your upcoming book, God and Conflict. And I, one of the things he talked about was sitting around his own family's dinner table and the conflict that would arise at the dinner table, even though he was involved in negotiating peace and mediating in Rwanda. You know, he had to also deal with the issues of peace and conflict and proper conflict resolution at his own dinner table. Right. I think that really speaks to us all looking at the the interface of the micro and the macro, would you say? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. And it's so, it, sometimes it's so easy to just work on the, the global scale and forget what's right at home. And, you know, and, and I stumble with this. And, uh, you know, I all of us stumble. And I think the part is, is that we really – you know, learn a lot from John Raymer just about compassion, compassion for oneself, and get up and just keep going. And, yeah, you know, all exactly. of us striving. And the other thing that's interesting about peace, and one thing I love, you know, on this panel with, with Rick and John and Eliza is, is the sense of collaboration. Uh, you know, John, John put together an impressive compassion and action summit during the Summer of Peace, which is available online. And Eliza also was featured sharing, you know, harmony in the Holy Land, and Rick's been featured, and, and we all basically collaborate. And I think that's an important part of what's emerging is folks, you know, pardon the terrible metaphor, people getting out of their missile silos. I just had to say that. But, everyone, yes. you know, the, the different groups, and I, I think Rick is really a master at this. You know, he's really a master yeah. at creating an inclusive environment because when we bring our songs, each of us bring our song together, there's an incredible orchestra or symphony that's, you know, just taking place. Or, um, and and so, I, I, you know, in each of us are just doing our own, own, again, piece of the puzzle. Yep, yep. No, I hear you loud and clear, and I think you're right, and I've been watching Rick do this for a long while, and it really, it takes a skill uh on his part, as well as a cooperation on all of ours, who each of us has, you know, not to overdo it, a piece of the puzzle, you know, uh, let's say uh, some, you know, some bread to bring to the table, and so we can all uh, eat merrily, you know. And I I don't think it can be uh, overemphasized, the importance, though, of the sense of being able to be involved in peacemaking on an individual and interpersonal level on both energetically, if you will, as well as just practically. You know, I I used to say, if everybody went home to whatever it is they call home 
everyone has some family somewhere, even people who live under a bridge. Those mm-hmm. may be their family. And if yeah. they simply say, listen, I know I hurt you, and I apologize, and give me a hug, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. funny as it may sound, if everybody did it, we would have a world of peace. I, I used to say this 20 yeah. years ago. I was just kind of playing with the thought in my mind, but I went, wait a minute. That's actually peace. That means all the yeah. soldiers. That means all the generals. That means everybody goes home. I, you know, it also mo- almost reminds me of uh, Euripides, uh, not Euripides, um, uh, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the uh, com- Greek comedian's name, Aristophanes. You know, the frogs, and you know, where the women wouldn't sleep with the men if they would not stop <laughs> roaring. You know, I just thought that was completely brilliant. That was, you know, what, 2,500 years ago. You know, I think they should keep that up. Anyway, uh, Philip, thank you so much for your weighing in here, and we'll, we'll come back. I want to bring Eliza Hava who is a musician, and uh, you've been involved, Elisa, for so long, and you've also spent time in one of the hottest, most conflicted areas of the world, Israel. Um, and I'd really love to bring you in on, this, uh, on these dialogues here. Um, please introduce yourself and through the work that you've been doing and how you're participating in these 11 days. Sure, I would love to, and I also want to thank you for inviting me to be part of this call. It's really an honor to be on a call with people who are so dedicated to transforming the world, and it's a a real honor. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Sure. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in terms of where I'm coming from and um, the the work that I'm doing with Peace Day Live, um, Peace Day Live started as, a effort to link concerts around the world that are happening on the International Day of Peace. So um, obviously my background is in music, and I yeah. have a very deep connection to the whole understanding of music as a tool for transformation and healing. Um, I actually studied mm-hmm. music therapy in university and um, the healing power of sound. And I also have a very strong spiritual foundation, so I understand that sound and prayer are very uniquely related. Um, music is used in every faith tradition in one way or another as a, as a way of prayer and devotion. So I really saw that there was a thread and there was a way of connecting music events that were transformational, united in a live broadcast um, so that you could see the collaboration across the world of music yes. for peace on the day of peace. And so that, that's where the, the idea for Peace Day Live really came from. And so last year we, we broadcast in partnership with Peace Day TV um, nine concerts on, different, on six different continents. And it mm. was really, really amazing um, oh grassroots my. effort. And um, 50 different organizations endorsed it and promoted it, and it was really, really great. And Rick was super helpful in that whole process. And uh-huh. um, so this year with Peace Day Live, um, after a big year that I've had personally um, living in Israel and, and working with the Shift Network, actually 
to produce Harmony in the Holy Land, which was an event on December 21st, 2012, that joined up with the synchronized global observance of, you know, the end of the Mayan calendar, the birth of a new humanity. And um, Jerusalem paid a, played a big part in that by, by hosting a concert with Arab and Jewish musicians for peace, singing together, Prayer for Peace. Mm, um, beautiful. Also broadcast live and PSA TV streamed that as well. So that was pretty big. And then, yeah. um, so this year having, you know, just a lot of beautiful transformations in my own life, um, and moving overseas back to um, states for a while. This year, PSA Live is kind of taking a step back on the production front, and what we're doing instead is w- working with all those partners and partnerships that we've built to really amplify what else is happening around the world. So yeah. um, the days of global unity is obviously a big part of that, and what we're doing is helping to promote um, online through a social media campaign to help promote every day, every theme, to encourage people who are following or people who might just see the tweets and the posts to think about what each theme um, means in their own personal life and their communities, as Philip said, from inter to outer, you know, from the personal to the global, how each one of those themes can affect um, your own personal life and how you can make a, a commitment to making an impact on one of those one of those themes, um, and as well, you know, really to promote the the live music events that are happening. Um, the Playing for Change Foundation has teamed up with One Love, the Marley Family mm-hmm. Foundation, to um, to host Playing for Change Day, which this is their third annual year. They've actually synced up Playing for Change Day with the International Day of Peace, so it happens always the same weekend as the International Day of Peace. And right now they've got 200 concerts around the world happening live on the International Day of Peace. And um, anybody, any musician, anywhere can sign up and register to do a concert. And um, any money that's raised goes to building schools and promoting music education in third world countries. So, you know, that's a really nice project that has really made an impact and continues to make an impact with music and music education. So really support that effort and also one of our other partners who we we really love working with is earth dance global which um you know they started in the 90s doing the global prayer for peace synchronized all around the world at the same time with trance music festivals and in you know 50 different countries and more so um earth dance is doing again 2013 their global event and we're really, really excited to to work with them and, and promote those festivals as well. And really, what what we want to do is help increase the the awareness of this global effort that's happening for Peace Day um, online. Because what happens, and in, in, from what I can see, and I think from what a lot of us who are doing this kind of work can see, is that the peace movement, you know, it's it's um it's kind of like a hidden gem that doesn't get as much attention as it could. And especially now with what's happening in Syria, if we can increase the online conversation and draw attention to all these great things that are happening 
around the world on Peace Day, then maybe it'll give people a little bit more hope and also empower them to do something in their own community that they feel is part of a bigger movement. So sure. that's really what we're working sure. for 2016. I hear you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for all of your work and sharing all of that with us. You're listening to a Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin on Blog Talk Radio, and we're on every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Please join us and visit us on our website, www.abetterworld.tv, and if you're not already getting the newsletter, make sure you sign up for it at abetterworld.tv. We're also on TV every Tuesday night in Manhattan at 10.30, and we air shows that we've done in the past as well as those in the present. And uh, it's very exciting. If you live in Manhattan, it's on one of the various cable channels. And if you're outside of Manhattan, you can listen through our website. And it's aired, it's webcast at the same time with the 10.30 p.m. showing. So become part of a better world family. We'd love to have you. So coming back to this illustrious panel, I'm just so pleased at the individual work each of you is doing and the way that you are all, I should say, we are all collaborating in different ways to raise the ante, up the ante of playing the game of peace. We've been playing the game of war for so long historically. I mean, if you really take a snapshot of, or a videotape, <clears throat> of human history, it, it virtually reads as a military history. I'm writing an article for the Huffington Post right now on the subject, and, you know, there are, just in U.S. history alone, there's a gap, a gap of some five to maximum 20 years that we were not in a military conflict going back to around 1805 uh, and then to about 1809 or 1811. Then there's the War of 1812. And then there's another, after that, another uh, 10 or 12 years where <clears throat> the wars have been at, you know, a low roar, war at a low roar where they belong, if at all. And uh, so it's, it's amazing. It just makes the work that is being done by this group of people on today's show all the more important because we're really changing the flow of the river, if you will, of human history into one of peace. Um, I'd love to hear from each of you, if possible. Um, how do you think, I mean, it's one thing to sing about music. It's one thing to even uh, dedicate hours of of community service. But I want to get down to kind of a, a very kind of fundamental substrate of the human psyche, which is what is it that tilts us toward violence and then it's, you know, further outcropping war? What do Philip, if I could start with you first, because you were in Sierra Leone, you know, with children who were bearing arms. Uh, what is it that you saw in that context where you could kind of get a, a different kind of beat on what is the inner motivation for war and toward violence? You, you know, Mitchell, I, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this 
briefly, you know, I, I spent so much time, you know, trying to figure out how an eight-year-old boy um, could be convinced to turn into a killing machine. And um, yeah, and I, you know, there, there's many different layers to this. I think I think a basic layer is um, a sense of separation. Um, and if you take it down, it's a sense of separation between one and and the other. And if you take it even deeper, like the root cause of conflict is a sense of separation. And if you want, you, you can think it's, it's a sense of separation between oneself and your your highest essence, spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it. And when there when there is that sense of separation, you have this. Um, I, I want to be happy. I want to avoid suffering. You go around the world, ranging that way, and then. Um, it's inevitable we're going to bump into each other. But in terms of Sierra Leone, take that a little bit further, is so you have Sierra Leone. I mean, I lived in bush villages that had been the same for generations, except for you could see that it was connected with the larger global economy. So when you have a global economy where people are trying to pursue happiness to get what they want and to avoid suffering, and it's defined through massive consumerism, so even though these villages were remote, they were still connected to a global economy where blood diamonds and timber trade, illegal timber trade, uh, was used to purchase AK-47s from the Soviet Union, uh, mm. which then flooded into Sierra Leone. And so you can see, if, if you take it to the very basic level, we're all seeking happiness. How yes. we decide to do that not only affects ourselves and the people in our immediate circle, it also affects people we'll never see. The other thing about this, is, and so in in Sierra Leone, um, there was a criminal aspect with Charles Taylor from Liberia and Paul Sankel. And so you take this global context where, yeah, let's just buy whatever we need to be ordered to be happy, and then that's being used by Charles Taylor, who's been arming you know tens of you know thousands of child soldiers. And then there's and then it just it goes demonic. I mean, one of the villages that lived in was sacked by a teenage boy named Colonel Rambo, who was trained in property watching Rambo movies. And and so this is another thing we don't think about in the United States. Yeah, let's go to the movies, let's see this movie. Oh, oh, there's violence here. But what people don't realize in the last 20, 20 25 years, there's been an, just a plethora of violent films dumped in the African markets where TVs and DVDs and VCRs. Or for peace, yes. young kids are going in and watching these films. So, so this thing about peace, it really it's is so international. And, yeah. and, and, and in terms of the other aspect, the psychological, so, so we, we have a lack of inner peace here. We're impacting people elsewhere. The other part is when that sense of separation becomes extreme, um, what happens is we'll see this in the United States. It's kind of like a rainbow. You have a rainbow with two pots of gold. And instead of the pots of gold, you have the extreme positions. And the extreme positions often have the loudest voices, and they'll use fear to to um, drive their agendas. And the extreme mm-hmm. example of this is, is Rwanda, Hutus and Tutsis. And so when you have fear, what happens with the human psyche is we start to narrow our identity. We have mm-hmm. multiple identities, but when you narrow it down to one, then what you can then then you, what you do is becomes me against the other. The problem could be economics, it could be you know like you know like of jobs, it could be a whole range of things. But then the other becomes the problem, and the way you overcome the problem is by striking out. And then, and then there's a pattern I've seen in, in conflicts where you start to stereotype and dehumanize. And once you dehumanize, and we see this in U.S. politics, then it becomes possible to strike out. 
And then the energy, based on fear, is going out to attack the other. And I think that is a central element to the dynamics. And what, what I love about the work with the compassion games and others is there's another part of the human's basically hardware and software, and James Doty and, and John can talk about this. The human's, human DNA is also not only geared towards fight and flight, but it's also geared towards compassion, love, and tolerance. And, and I go into extensive detail in my book. Is, I mean, there's really tangible ways to help people expand their identities so that they start to recognize the common humanity in the other, and that awakens our innate compa- ability for compassion. So all of these potentials are in all of us. You know, the, the potential for violence in the, each of us and the potential for compassion is. And, and this is a big subject, the big subject, um, big question you've asked. And that's just a thumbnail, a thumbnail sketch. And believe sure. me, Mitchell, I've spent so much time trying to figure out why Colonel Ramble killed and raped some of my friends in the villages. You know, it's just like, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and as you know, I, in our conversation, having spent the last 22 years meditating a couple hours a day trying to bridge yes. that inner spiritual dimension together with the harsh reality that's happening. So exactly. clearly exactly. I'm very passionate on the subject. Oh, actually. my. So indeed, indeed. Absolutely, absolutely, Philip. Thank you so much for your response. I, I so appreciate your your words, and it is – the reality is this is a multidimensional issue, and one of the things that I really like to bear on – the subject of peace is really looking at neuroscience and the breakthroughs that are happening in helping us understand our own deepest nature and as well as human potential. And what we really see by looking at the animal kingdom as well as our own, which I, you know, the old story, you know, uh, we're just spiritual beings having a human experience. I say, I, perhaps maybe we're just animals trying to have a human experience, you know. And spirits around us anyway. We don't have to worry about that. But when we look at the role especially of cooperation, John, you were talking about this a little bit before, competition, cooperation. The way we've actually survived is through cooperation, not competition. And from this point of view, Darwin and all the other Latter-day interpreters have really gotten the whole picture wrong. It's really an incorrect one. We, we manage to get through by helping each other, by extending a hand, by being in service to each other. And there's ample, ample evidence, quantitative evidence, that shows us that that is the way we thrive, not just survive, but actually thrive. And when people feel good, when people are smiling and laughing and playing games, they are, uh, they are just all the more incentivized to share that with others. And before you know it, you've got a big bubble of love happening. And I don't know. I, I really think that we can laugh our way to peace and, Rick, to treaties, you know. Will you, John, would you like to share something about that? John Raymer? Hello. Oh, maybe he got lost. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. Rick, then if he left, yeah. then please pick up that ball, okay? Right. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think the reason that humanity survived those old 
uh, days, you know, a million and two million years ago, is because the bottom line of those those proto communities was the well-being and survival of each member of the community. That's why humanity survived and evolved. And uh, before we end the, the show, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the wonderful partners uh, besides the people on this show who've, uh, who are making 11 Days such an incredible experience this year. Paul Hawkins' group, Wiser Earth, um, at wiser.org, is a leading participant in 11 Days this year. They have over 100,000 organizations in their network that are socially conscious. Um, uh, also, if people are in the New York City area, uh, there's going to be a Peace Day party in Times Square on September 21st at noon. They're going to oh, form nice. a giant sign, which is incredible. And the same day at uh, the uh, Banshell in Central Park, there's going to be the vigil for international peace and ecology all day from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if mm. you're in New York, that's, those are the places to be. Yes. Yes, in fact, I think uh, my dear friend Paul Slutkus of Good News Broadcasting is part of that uh, effort. That's right, he's doing aware. it. Sure, absolutely. He's so we fully support that. We fully support that. I, I tell you, I, I want to just even extend this for a few more moments for you all to just uh, weigh in again um, because I'm I'm so appreciating the good work that you are all doing, and I, I think it's very powerful, and I'd love for us to kind of just uh, collaborate and cooperate for another few minutes here. I want to push this yeah. to the very end of our time here. Uh, I, I think that uh, I want to bring up the subject of Syria, actually, because we really can't have a broadcast I, on September 11th. I just really also want to acknowledge uh, all those uh, – families who lost loved ones on that day of 2000 of 9/11/2001 which was such a heartbreak for us in New York to watch these buildings come down whoever it is that sold them and uh that there was such a profound loss of life in one or two strikes that uh just broke the spirit of our city and our nation for Oh, it was just a few minutes in reality, but it was a very painful blow uh, that was felt around the world. And uh, it's only appropriate to really acknowledge all of the families and all of the people that uh, went through such a difficult trauma for those of us, uh, you know, literally everywhere. Um, So... Coming back around, though, uh, I would like, Aliza, maybe you could uh, respond to this. Uh, When you look at Syria, I mean, after all, you've spent so much time also in the Middle East, and you look at this issue, how do you see uh, our maneuvering genuinely and peacefully through this particular uh, set of circumstances, if you can give us a a two- or three-minute... description what your thoughts are about it sure um well obviously what's happening in syria is very very devastating and also complicated there are many layers that 
show, I'm sure that most of us don't know um, the full story behind. And, yes. you know, as Dan, you know, kind of witness to to what's happening, I think a lot of people would like to do something but don't necessarily know what they can do to help prevent any more violence in that region. So as a global community, looking at that situation, not being there personally, but, you know, being connected spiritually um, and, you know, as, as part of, you know, the human family, um, I think personally the decision that I've made, you know, beyond doing Peace Day Live and, and you know, everything in, in uh, the 11 Days of Global Unity, um, I think that the prayer and the the global outpouring of prayers for peace that have been happening around the world are actually more effective than people might even realize because, mm-hmm. you know, as Philip would know, um, you know, very he, – he knows a lot about this because of the Shift Network's involvement in um, global prayer and meditation and, you know, the, the Isaiah effect that was written by Greg Braden and – the studies sure. of the Maharishi University, when people come together sure. in large groups and pray or meditate, if you're if you're not into God, which, you know, many people aren't and all the power to them, meditation <laughs> is also very powerful. And if people all around the world were at the same time to meditate and pray together, um, it would have a profound impact on the resonant frequencies of the planet. And yes. one of the things that, you know, I could share in, in just these few minutes is that on September 21st, there is going to be a global meditation and synchronized prayer for peace all around the world. Um, one of our partner organizations, BeThePeace.com, is actually facilitating that with a number of other groups, including Unify and the World Peace Prayer Society and a lot of really spiritually-minded and faith-minded organizations like the United Religions Initiative. I mean, these are all partners, cross-collaborators in the International Day of Peace and um, would like to just encourage listeners to find a time during that day on the International Day of Peace to find a quiet place to pray for peace in Syria and around the world. I mean, it's a small thing, but it could have a big impact. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, wise words, wise words. Philip, would you uh, weigh in on this? Uh, You know, one of the themes I could say that keeps emerging here is this notion of the multi-layered quality, because on one hand, we've got the inner peace that we so treasure, uh, that occurs usually, hopefully, when we're meditating, or at moments of awe in nature, mm-hmm. in livelihood, when we're feeling on purpose, on mission, the li- aliveness we feel. And then there are the interpersonal relationships where things begin to get a little challenged sometimes, but things like egos and cross purposes and things of that sort, and not having the tools to learn to resolve them peacefully and thank goodness for brilliant men such as Marshall Rosenberg and others. We've had Marshall on the show talking about nonviolent communication. Uh, And Rick, I know you're very involved in that too. I'm so pleased because this gives us some real hands-on tools 
neurolinguistic programming for another gives us real ways of of negotiating and managing our feelings psychotherapy uh so that we can move with some sense of responsibility and with some elegance into relationships that are uh workable even when we agree to disagree it's okay we can still lead peaceful lives and peaceable lives but there's also an entire political reality that we haven't really addressed here and i'm if it's okay with you to be on for another few minutes it's okay with me i'm just able to extend the time a little bit here there's a political reality that noam chomsky this morning was speaking about very powerfully on uh amy goodman's uh, democracy now that i was listening to as i often do and he was talking about the fundamental position of the united states in the world which ironically is about world domination and Mm -hmm. anything that gets in the way of that domination even though it's exactly what we uh... our government accused the soviet union of so many years ago was actually its own agenda and has done Mm -hmm. all that it could to support dictators around the world and depose uh, you know, democracies from, you know, Iran in 1952 to, you know, um, Allende uh, during the Nixon years and on and on, Marcos and, you know, well, of course, I mentioned the Shah and Soharto and on and on and on. It's, it's madness. But when you really step back, you see that there really has been an agenda of domination and don't mm-hmm. get in the way of it. So mm-hmm. when you look at the world through those lens, you see an entirely different world than that which is spoken of in the press or even by our Congress or White House. Um, how does that interface with the work of uh, 11 Days of Global Unity and the work that you're doing? Is this for Rick, this question first? or do you want uh, to I asked Philip, and then I would like to hear Rick. Okay. Well, I, a couple of different things. One, I think uh, one person's work to read on is Colonel Puck Mickleby. Uh, we interviewed him, and he's just a phenomenal person. And he wrote something called a National Strategic Narrative, which is calling for the United States to move from a threat and response stance, which comes out of the Cold War, to one of more yes. credibility in an open interdependent, interconnected system. And so we have to move mm. from this 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 stance where, you know, it's threat and response and dominance and contain to, okay, we need to be credible actors and we need yeah. to really live and promote the values that we have. And and that we and so you know, to have that coming from now he's retired colonel from the Ring Corps, uh, who did this while he was on detail in the Pentagon. So that's a national strategic narrative by Colonel Puck Nickleby. I think having it come from his voice, and he said one of the highest priorities, national priorities for the United States is sustainability and to invest more in education, renewable energies, and then look at foreign policies where we're we're really coming across as credible and in align with our values. So that's that's one voice. The other thing in terms of the serious situation, you know, having been in a country where it, it really took military intervention to stop the war in Sierra Leone. So, I, you know, I, I'm grateful for what the U.N. did there and the British paratroopers. 
in this case, I, I, you know, what Obama is proposing, I think, is, is not going to work. Um, and it's important for, you know, everything that Elisa say, I echo wholeheartedly, you know, having people around the world praying, that helps a lot. And then I think it's important for us to keep pressure on our government to demand, you know, demand a ceasefire. Well, first of all, follow right now Russia's lead on, on, on the weapons and then work together. I think the closer the U.S. and Russia can work together, we can actually demonstrate collaboration. Uh, and yes. then I think for the international communities in this case, once the war starts like this, you have to demand a ceasefire, bring the parties to the negotiating table so the international community can align around that, and then have um, an accounting for reconciliation and accountability. And the accountability is a key part. And I think this situation points out to the fact that there's really a need for the strengthening of the international bodies. And the U.S. has really fallen down on this in terms of, um, you know, strengthening the International Criminal Court. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a body that could be used in the, you know, more in the future. Um, the U.S. is not, I mean, it's been back and forth on it, I think in part because we're concerned it may be used against us for what we've done um, in Iraq yeah. and elsewhere. But, but I yeah. think, you know, we use what we can. And then um, the other aspect from this has been its prevention. And the Alliance for Peace Building in Washington, D.C. is doing excellent work with a whole collaboration with groups um, including the France Committee National Legislation and others, to really promote um, an agenda of looking at how conflict prevention can happen. Because as they say, once the pot boils over, it's really hard to put the lid back on. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent recommendations. I very much appreciate that. Rick, I'd love to give you the, the last word here to wrap up. I I, I see it's so interesting. There's uh, so often a um, a divide between sort of uh, the politics on the ground of what's going on and the peace movement. And there's this beautiful idealistic wish and hope among us in our hearts for a world of peace that that uh, motivates us to pray and to meditate and to intend and put out the right f actual physical as well as soulful energy into the world. And at the same time, it's like there's this encrusted body politic with its own powerful agenda that really, you know, kind of so much dictates the way things happen, uh, typically, typically. But what we see here, of course, right now with Syria is that there has been strenuous, if I may use the word, opposition among the American people, not to mention the global community, not giving our representatives the authority to then in turn give the White House Obama the authority to do this highly limited attack and so far it's working and it is so ironically uh, promoting collaboration between the Russians and the Americans which of course has happened but uh, it's always a little tenuous so it's to me there's a great irony a beautiful irony in what's going on that I very much appreciate Rick I'd love to hear you uh, weigh in on this as our closing comments sure uh, yeah, I mean, there's, it's a complex situation. I actually wanted to pick up on something that Philip uh, started talking about, which is prevention, which for me is 
so crucial because, as you know, when you're at the point of crisis and crisis management, then you're reduced to bad choices. Choices, yeah. just every every choice on the table now has difficult uh, uh, possible results. And uh, so even even if this thing goes through with Russia, I mean, there then you know just resolving things in Syria. I mean, the, the whole thing is is such a big mess. So um, in terms of prevention. Uh, you know, there are people working in Syria on the ground that never make it to the commercial and mainstream media. They are sure. committed to nonviolent solutions and yes. interfaith dialogue, and they're they're doing it even as we speak. I mean, at the worst possible moment. Um, yes. Can you imagine if they had been supported uh, even like one one hundredth? of the funding given to the armed groups and and uh, yes. just you know militarists around the world i mean if if they got uh, a little bit of uh, funding we'd have a very different situation there and it would never have got to this point the other the other point i want to make is that there are groups that have been working on reforming the united nations they've been working on this since the mid 1990s mm-hmm. so that when there are conflicts and human rights violations in countries, uh, it is possible to address those things before they get to the point where we have, uh, like, a, a Syria or, or a Congo. Um, and, uh, but it does require some reform of some of the institutions at the UN, you know, yes. like the... Uh, Security Council and and the role of uh, NGOs and you know there's 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 a lot yes. of reform that people are talking about that could help uh, in those situations to not let it get to this point where we already have a hundred thousand people killed. Exactly, exactly. Your points are well made and well taken, and I appreciate that. I I was part of something back in the early 90s, Rick, at the UN called CCCUN that was headed up by a psychoanalyst, actually, Dr. Henry Lerner. And the whole idea was UN reform back then. And uh, through the Assistant Secretary General, uh, Robert Mueller, with whom I was very friendly, who had a series of schools that he called... Better World Schools, and we were very friendly for many years, as well as his wife. Uh, I met a fellow who had an entire alternative to the UN and talked about the UN as further reinforcing, you know, what was then sort of the G7 through the Security Council, and it was sort of like more of the same, but cast into a global organization. And I, I never thought of it before this, but yeah, it's allowing the leading nations in the Security Council to continue to control the conversation. And uh, that was a real revelation to me. Uh, but your call and your mentioning the reform of the UN as a as a body so it can really be leaders in the world, as I believe it should and could be, um, is really very, very important. 
Well, I want to just thank you all. Rick, would you please give the websites uh, that govern what's happening uh, for the 11 days of global unity to our audience? Sure. And, in fact, uh, every everyone is uh, connect connectable at the website. If you go to we.net, that's probably the easiest to let people know. And you just sure. click on uh, 11 Days of Global Unity. That's that's probably the easy, easiest. The Compassion Games are there and uh, all the other partners. Um, and, uh, you know, um, CompassionGames.org and also um, PeaceDayLive.org. Those, those yeah. are... Uh, ones and I, and I guess through your website too, you'll be connecting to all of these. All of it, right? right. All of this is listed on our website, exactly at BetterWorld.tv. By all means, so we have yeah. all of you there permanently on our newsletter. So this broadcast will also be available uh, both at Blog Talk Radio and at BetterWorld.tv in our radio archive. So at any time. Uh, you can go and access this and listen again and learn more about each of the work of each of our individual panel members today and uh, tune into the vibe of love and peace that we generated on this panel. I want to thank you each for contributing your heart, your mind, and your spirit to today's roundtable. That's John Raymer, Philip Helmick, and Eliza Hava, Aliza, I'm so sorry, and Rick Ulfick at the head of it all. I just want to thank you from my heart for the good work that you are doing and all of you are doing. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you for Absolutely. It's truly my pleasure. It's truly my pleasure. So, audience, dear audience, we are here for you. We are here to serve, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as we all did, and uh, again, our website at a better world is a better world TV, and that is what we are wholeheartedly committed to every single week we 've been bringing you these broadcasts for years, and in fact, for the TV show, we celebrated our twentieth anniversary just this past spring, and we continue to provide this public service to the planet to enrich it and so that we can all learn to live together, and have a very wonderful time at it. It's sort of like it's so close at hand, the fun, the peace, the prosperity, mutually shared. And uh, I feel that if we can all cooperate enough and collaborate enough to just help to turn that corner, all will be well. So uh, thank you again, all of you, for being part of our show today. And um, I'll speak with you all soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Again, a very, very rich uh, quaternologue, should we call it, a double dialogue. And um, I hope that was uh, enriching. What you see at the end of the day is there are a lot of people all over the world. Rick made reference to uh, the wiser earth, 110,000 organizations. That's not people, that's organizations which actually represent millions upon millions of human beings whose lives are very 
not wholly committed to the service of others, to peace, to the planet, to overall prosperity, to fun, to right livelihood. One of our, you know, one of my favorite guests on A Better World is uh, my dear uh, colleague and friend, Jean Houston, uh, who engages in social artistry for the UN and has traveled to approximately 106 countries inspiring the young people on the ground to take up leadership positions in their villages and their communities to build a better world to build sustainable society to build relationships that will last that are not based on conflict but are based on peace and that's what today's roundtable is really about getting to the essence of humanity which is a, an essence of love and the spirit of cooperation and fun as John Raymer really engages us regarding the compassion games. It's really true, folks. This is really who we are, and we want to stand up for it and forward it, advance this game, progress this game, and take it out of the hands of warmongers and realize, help the warmongers sh see that even inside them, there is truly a core of peace, but for any number of different, very complex reasons, sociological, psychological, intrapsychic, karmic, generational, that we tend toward violence, but that is not our true nature, but enjoyment and sharing and service and cooperation truly is. So I leave you on that high note. I'm so glad you're with us. Again, visit us at our website, become part of a better world at www.abetterworld.net. Spread the word, forward this link to your friends and family, and I look forward to seeing you all next.